brought a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 uh, this morning, as I already mentioned. If you're online watching us, uh, welcome this morning. You know, uh, there are about, oh, my guess is about 150 of us maybe outside. And if you're in the sanctuary here this morning, I want to welcome you. Uh, sometimes we'll have 20 or 30 there. But you know, we'll have as many as 1,000 other people watching us online this morning. So uh, we're a big church today. And uh, you're part of a big family, and uh, we certainly want to want to welcome you all this morning. Um, so the title of my message this morning is "A Nation in Trouble," and uh, I just want to talk a little bit, not so much about what's happening in our nation, but but I want to talk about what can we do, what perspective should we have, and uh, and how we can respond and. I really think there's some wisdom in the book of Daniel. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I thought about starting a series in Daniel. I chickened out because it's a complicated book. Have you ever read it? I thought, that's too hard. I can't do that. Summertime. I want to go fishing. Uh, but I, I'm going to probably bring a few messages in Daniel this morning. I'm going to talk from Daniel chapter 2. Uh, many of you are familiar that Daniel was one of the exiles. Uh, Babylonian army, of course, uh, marched across Israel, not much uh, to hold them back by this time in history. They literally destroyed uh, the city of, of Jerusalem, and they took uh, many people captive back to, to Babylon. Uh, Daniel was someone who was raised in the royal family. doesn't mention who his father was. Uh, he and three friends, and some of us know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were their uh, Babylonian names that were given them. Belshazzar was Daniel's Babylonian name. Uh, but uh, those three young men, and if you're a young person here today or if you're a young person watching online, maybe a young family walking online, God used a young man and his three young friends in their early 20s to bring such a powerful testimony of an almighty God to a totally pagan city and a totally pagan culture and a totally pagan king. God works through us in the world we're living in today. Could someone say amen to that? And if you're a young person, God has a powerful plan for your life to be an influence in our world in the day we live. I should hear an amen on that. So these four, Daniel and three young friends, became a part of a group of men who were advisors to the king. Now, they're referred to as magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, okay? Not who we would think they'd be in the church anyway. But uh, I call them the Shirley MacLaine uh, School uh, graduates. But, and there's a reason for that. Some of you watching don't even know who Shirley MacLaine was. But uh, she was kind of a forerunner for the New Age movement here in the United States 20 or 25 or maybe 30 years ago and, and just opened the door to people seeking spiritual tr truth on their own terms and seeking spirituality. But how many know we live in a spiritual world? There are spirits that aren't the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of spirits who will speak to you, could give you a dream and give you some kind of guidance or purpose that's not the purpose that God or that the Holy Spirit has for your life. And, and so, uh, you know, Shirley MacLaine wrote a book, uh, Road Less Travel, something like, I don't know what it was. It wasn't a bestseller in my library. But anyway, um, she, 
That's kind of these people. They're from different countries. They, they have different ways of pursuing God. They're referred to as, as magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. Not the holy God, but they, they have different ways of pursuing divine truth or spiritual truth. And, and it's interesting. Obviously, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was a very superstitious man. Very fearful man because he wanted... He wanted everything covered, every religion, every spiritual idea. He wanted an advisor from every camp, every church, whatever, uh, on, on his team because he wanted to be covered when he went to war or, or, or maybe he was trying to make a decision culturally for the nation. He, he wanted to be covered by all these different uh, thoughts and, and different ideas. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all re represented the holy God, uh, the great God, we'll see uh, in chapter 2. Uh, of course, they represented the God of Israel. In the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had a dream. And it was very frightening to him because it, it, it gave an impression that possibly he could lose his kingdom and, and, and that he could be thrown down. So he's very frightened. Uh, he, he called together all of his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he asked them to tell him, what was my dream and what did it mean? Now, he didn't tell them the dream because he didn't trust them. Because as you know, a lot of advisors will tell the king what they think he wants to hear. And he didn't want that. He wanted to know the truth. That's good. He wanted to know the truth. He had had this dream, something supernatural, something where he sensed God or a God, supernatural being had spoke to him, and he wanted to know the truth. And so he wouldn't tell him the dream. He said, if you can tell me the dream, I know you can tell me interpretation. And, uh, of course, they, they became very angry and frustrated. The chief astrologer, wh whoever he was, by the way, Daniel wasn't part of this group yet. He's just a young man. He's going to end up leading it at the end of this story. But he's not there yet. He's just a young man. So he isn't part of that, uh, isn't a part of this meeting anyway. Anyway, the, the person in charge became very frustrated with Nebuchadnezzar. He said, look, no king, no matter how great, how powerful, has ever asked his magicians, enchanters, and astrologers such a difficult question to tell him his dream. And then to tell him his interpretation, basically the, uh, the, the lead advisor was saying, You're, you got an ego a mile wide. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't really like that. In fact, he ordered immediately for all of them to be killed and their houses to be burned. Wasn't a good day. <laughs> so, <laughs> Arioch, the captain of the uh, royal guard, was ordered then to go and kill everyone. When he came to Daniel's house, of course, Daniel didn't know anything about it yet. When he came to the home where Daniel was living, it, I love verse 13. It says, Daniel spoke wisely and with tact. <laughs> and he diffused the anger. He asked uh, the king for time, and Daniel promised, I will give you what your dream was, and I will give you the interpretation. How many think that was a little bit of a risk? Okay. Man of faith, trusting Almighty God to reveal the dream and then reveal the answer. So after Daniel said that to the king, 
Verse 17 is where we'll start reading. And I apologize, but we'll read the whole chapter. It's just too good not to read the whole thing. Uh, but anyway, verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Erziah, who are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian names. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Uh, during the night, uh, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the God, uh, to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. And light dwells with him. Light, purity of heart, of mind, and perfection. Light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask you, and we have made known, you have made known to us uh, the dream of the king. So Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. He said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Uh, take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. It's interesting that he was moved with compassion for the other uh, spiritual leaders, I guess you'd call them, of the nation of, of Babylon. Apparently, he had felt God's mercy in revealing the dream and wanted others to extend that mercy. How many would agree with that? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Sometimes we can be very arrogant and judgmental when people don't understand all the things that we think we know. Sorry about that. Verse 25. <laughs> uh, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles uh, from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel also called Belshazzar. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Uh, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I, am, I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Got a little competition. Sorry about that. Now, this verse is too important for me to let that plane take it away, okay? Sorry, I got to go over it again. I'm not being critical of him. Just uh, sometimes something is too good and you can't pass it up, okay? So, verse 29. As your majesty was lying there, your name, your mind turned to the things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that 
your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Do, I don't know if you understand what's happening here, but Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, God loves you. God, who is over all things, loves you. You've been searching in your life, what's my purpose? What's my meaning in life? And what does the future have for me? How many know that every person is asking that question? How many know that God is kind enough to reveal it? Now, sometimes they reject the revelation when you come and share Jesus with them. But isn't everyone asking that question? And God, in his love, answered. And he answered with a dream. And in his dream, he's going to show Nebuchadnezzar who he is. He's going to show Nebuchadnezzar his purpose in life. And then he's going to show Nebuchadnezzar the real meaning of life. So let me read it to you. This is what went through your mind. Verse 31. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue. An enormous, dazzling statue. Awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet of partly iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a, a rock cut out, not by human hands, uh, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and clay and bronze and silver and gold, all the kingdoms of the world, were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor. So if you want to know where things are headed, that's it right there. All the kingdoms of the world were broken to pieces, became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that'll preach. Verse 36, this was the dream, and now I will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, whatever the, wherever they live. He has made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. What, what did God just say to Nebuchadnezzar? He controls everything, but he allowed you to oversee the greatest kingdom ever in the history of the world. God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, I've given you more power, more wealth, more influence than any ever other man will ever have in the history of the world. That's literally what he's saying. Do you think that was humbling? Had to be. If you read the rest of the book, you'll, you'll see that he finally figures it out. But he had, was still having a struggle in his soul at, at, at this point in his life. He says, you are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise. Inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. Just as you saw, the feet and the toes were uh, part, partly of baked clay and partly of iron. So this will be a divided kingdom, yet will have some strength of it uh, because of the iron, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. Uh, as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with uh, baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not 
remain united uh, any more than uh, mixed uh, iron mixes with clay. Verse 44. Uh, in the time of those kings, he's talking about that last kingdom now, that one mixed with iron and clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it uh, be left to any other person. Uh, it will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid honor and ordered that offerings and incense be presented to him. Uh, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, a revealer of mysteries, and you will be able to, uh, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Verse 48, then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire providence of Babylon. I guess that's quite a promotion for a 23-year-old. And placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, uh, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the providence of Babylon, and Daniel himself remained uh, at the royal court. This is an amazing story. Obviously, I'm a little jacked today. Uh, it, it's an amazing story, but more importantly, it's not a fable. This is a, an amazing moment in history where in a foreign nation... God reveals his glory through his church, through Daniel, through a believer. I, I just think that's interesting. And it teaches us some really important things about the day we live. Number one, if you're a note taker, all kingdoms of this world are temporary. Can we say that together? All kingdoms of this world are temporary. That's, that's so important. All leaders, all rulers are temporary. But there is a kingdom that will last forever. Hallelujah. There is a rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. Does anyone have an idea of who that is? Now, in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, there was a statue with a head of gold and God graciously tells Nebuchadnezzar I've allowed you to rule over the greatest nation ever in the history of the world uh, Bible scholars say after that kingdom kingdom of Babylon the Medo-Persian Empire uh, the chest of silver and arms of silver and we'll see that in chapter 5 they take over rulership of the world at that time after that belly and thigh of bronze Alexander the Great uh, most people believe, uh, was the next great kingdom. And after that, the Roman Empire, the feet of iron and clay. Uh, and during that empire, the Roman Empire, a rock cut out of a mountain, not with human hands, born of a virgin. His name is Jesus. Cut out of a mountain. People of Israel are called the mountain of God all throughout the Old Testament. 
Jesus came from the tribe of Judah 600 years before he was conceived, 600 years before he was born. Daniel is prophesying to a man named Nebuchadnezzar that the kingdoms of this world won't last, but there is a king, and he is a rock, and his kingdom will stand. It will last forever, and it will become a mountain that will rule the whole earth. How many know Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, how can you not preach this? I mean, this is an amazing section of scripture. Now, I chose it because the Lord asked me to preach on Daniel a couple weeks ago, actually a month ago. I told my wife, I think I'm going to do a, book, a study through the book of Daniel. And then I started studying. I thought, I can't do that. It's just too hard. Sorry, I'm just being honest. <laughs> we'll let one of you do it. But anyway, um, could I say this morning, I love the United States of America. How many are thankful that you were born here, that you live here, that you've been raised here? I'm thankful for the courage of men and women who came across the ocean blue in 1492. Okay, they were, they were pursuing freedom, not to be transgender. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but we've taken the idea of freedom and we've turned it into lawlessness. There's no moral code. I'm not against anybody as they're struggling through understanding their life or their sexuality or whatever else. But as a nation, we call evil good and good evil. We want to remove the Bible from everything. We want to remove sound moral judgment from everything. We're a lawless generation. Okay, they came to the United States because they wanted the freedom to worship God without being told what to believe by the Church of England. There was an oppression from the government that controlled the church. And, and, and they, didn't, they didn't want that. They wanted the freedom to, to, to seek God. The Apostle Paul said, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. How many would say amen to that? But then he went on to say, do not use your freedom as a yoke of bondage. And sadly, that is what America does as it demands its right to do whatever it wants to do. Now, legally, okay, people can do whatever they want to do. How many ever noticed uh, films that are immoral are called adult films? Shouldn't an adult watch them? <laughs> Absolutely not. You got enough stuff going on in your mind. You don't need to watch that. But, but it's interesting how we relabel things, okay? We try to sophisticate things. But God's God's law is, is out of his love. The, tender command, the Ten Commandments are the tender commandments. God in his love wants his best for you, just like you as parents want the best for your children. And so God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But we struggle with them. We, we, we wrestle with them be, because they require us to do things we, we don't want to do. In other words, we can't follow the motto of it feels good, do it. You know, we, we have to restrict 
our freedom to enjoy his freedom. We have to restrict what the world says we can do to be free in order to truly be full of freedom and full of joy and full of peace and full of hope. How many know what I'm saying is true? It, it, it's true, and I hope I haven't said it harshly in any way to, uh, as though I'm a bigoted Christian person. I, 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 that's not me, and it's not anyone here. I know us. We love people. We really love people, but there's a freedom that gets you in trouble. And so what's in store for the United States' future? I don't know, but I know this. All kingdoms are temporary. The kingdom of gold, silver, bronze, and iron were destroyed like chaff on a winnowing floor. That's all I know. That's what the Bible says. I don't know any time frames, but all I know is that what we're enjoying as a nation and as a people will not last forever. But there is a kingdom that will. And that is our hope. <laughs> Amen. Number one, all, king, all kingdoms are temporary. Number two, God is faithful. And I'm so thankful throughout history that God raises up a testimony of who he is. God is faithful. You see, Israel turned its back on God. They rejected God. And even when God punished them and took them into captivity, God raised up a testimony. He raised up Daniel and his three friends. And in the royal court, they, they lived and they dwelled. And chapter 3, you know, the king's going to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And God is going to be with them. And once again, God is going to give testimony of his greatness and his power and his holiness. They're going to come out of the fire not smelling like smoke. And in chapter 6, Daniel is going to get thrown in the lion's den. and He's going to come out unharmed. And over and over again, God is going to give testimony of his faithfulness and his love. Psalms 146 verse 6 says, He, referring to God, is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Hallelujah. Now let me give you some encouragement. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Aren't you thankful for that? Because everyone here this morning, you've been faithless. At some point in your life, every person watching, I know you've been faithless. I, I know you've made mistakes. And sometimes we live, we live in this uh, cloud of regret. I just want to encourage you, even your mistakes, God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. He's at work in your life. He's faithful. And he will bring it to pass. And I just want to encourage you, even though we live in a lawless world, we have a faithful God. Could someone say amen? We live in a lawless world, but we have a faithful God. Number three, this is super important. God answers prayer. I wish we prayed as much as we talk about prayer. Don't you? Well, I need to pray. <laughs> I wish we prayed as much as we talk about prayer. Verse 17 through 19, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning 
this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. Aren't you thankful for God's mercy? Daniel prayed. And I think if there's anything that we should be doing uh, is praying. Now, I want to be really careful when I say this because you might misunderstand it. But it's interesting to me that during a time of, help me with a word, cataclysmic kind of darkness that has come to the surface in our nation. Has anyone else felt kind of the way I felt? I thought, where is all this coming from? Where is this darkness? Where is this evil? Where is this hatred? Where is this division among people? Where is it coming from? It's interesting during this time of darkness that the doors of the churches across our nation are closed. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't think that was some conspiracy theory governmental plan. Sorry, I, I just don't go there. I gave up my right to meet with you for the sake of your safety. And that's the reason we closed our doors even though we continued uh, doing services online. So I can't get involved in that theory but how many know that Satan is not stupid? You know, okay, let's just, can we get real? I know that not everyone that goes to church prays. If 10% do, it'd be a miracle. You know, the average pastor doesn't pray more than 15 minutes a week. I mean, I'm sorry, that's, that's not good. That's not good. Well, <laughs> thanks, Mike. I like him. By the way, I wouldn't get away with that with my wife, man. We, we don't, if we don't have 15 minutes every morning, we're in trouble. She's awesome. But America does not pray. We just don't. We don't know how to intercede. Very few of us here have ever spent an hour in intercession. We don't know how to seek God. Let me, let me read you a scripture. It says, 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. To seek God's face, you have to look him in the eye. You have to, you know, I've got wrinkles in my face. You know, I cover them all up with makeup for you on Sunday morning. Not really, I don't. But have you ever seen the wrinkles on his face? Have you ever seen his tears? in regard to your sin. See, there's a different level of prayer when you seek his face. When you seek his face, you feel his heart. And you can't come away the same. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face. And then it goes on, and turn from their wicked ways. You know, there's something about his face. He is holy. Light dwells with him. And there's something about his presence. I never walk away without feeling the need to be more wholly committed to God and more wholly in love with him with all my mind, with all my emotions, with all my heart. And the reason why a lot of people don't pray is they say prayers, 
but, but they don't know how to seek his face. And once, the, once you've been captivated in his presence, there's nothing like that. There's nothing on this earth that could replace his presence and his face. And, and, and so, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked way. He's talking to the church. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We need to pray. We need to pray. It's not an accident that the church is not meeting and not praying. Even people who don't know how to pray. I remember when I used to go to the Lutheran church, we'd stand there at the end of the service. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name you should help me Lou thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now that's a good prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven you know every person who prays that they don't know beans from buckshot half the time they came to church because they were forced to by their spouse. Or it's just an obligation and a tradition that's been part of their life for years and years and years. But God hears that prayer. Hallelujah. God hears that prayer. And we need that prayer. We need that prayer in this day. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need that prayer in the day we live. We need that prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. I urge then, the apostle Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, petitions are urging God. I won't give up God till I have an answer. Petitions and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for many. We need to pray. For all of our leaders, for all those in authority, we need to come in agreement with God. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We need to pray for people to find Jesus Christ because there's only one way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And I know we've got a lot of re religious ideas in our culture but Jesus is the answer. Number four, then I'll have the worship team come in just a moment. Last thing, God's kingdom will prevail. I don't know what's going to happen in the years to come, but I was with some brothers uh, Friday morning, and I was talking, and I felt a little embarrassed after I said it, so I'm going to embarrass myself with all of you. That's my spiritual gift. Okay? This is how I feel. I... I feel, I feel like the Germans felt when one day they woke up and Hitler was their ruler. 
and the Third Reich was marching through their country. Now, I'm not saying that's happening in America in, in any way. Thank the Lord it's not happening. Could someone say amen? Okay. I'm not saying, but can you imagine the church in Germany, how they felt when they woke up one day and saw the evil that was ruling? And they thought to themselves, how did this happen? How did this wickedness happen? Where were we? How did we allow this? And what I'm saying, loudly, sorry, is as a church, we should feel that way. I'm saying as the church across America, to a certain degree, we should be stunned, waking up and asking, how is this happening? How are all these divisions? How is all this fighting? How is all this moral unhealth ruling our country? Forming the decisions of lawmakers. Forming the decisions in political parties. How did we get here? It's horrible. It's horrible. I'm not suggesting like Daniel. I'm not any more righteous. I'm not any wiser. I don't have the answers. But I do think we need to pray. And here's what I know. God's kingdom will prevail. This is what Daniel said. Praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. So I'll invite the worship team to come on up. We need to pray, and, and uh, thank you. I appreciate that. You, you don't know, sometimes I go home and I'm horribly embarrassed at myself. <laughs> what did I just say? And uh, anyway, so we need to pray. And I, I need to apologize to you that I haven't tried to mobilize prayer for us as a church while we've been going through this COVID thing. There's certainly been a lot of concern on the parts of people as far as distancing and staying set, but we need to pray. And so I will uh, make sure that we start to organize some times of prayer. I know it's, it's hot on you right now, but I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We need to have some times of prayer. Maybe some evenings out here in the amphitheater with the w breeze blowing. And we need to have some times of prayer. I, I want you to know, and th th this is an open invitation to any of you here, to you online, or you in the church uh, sanctuary this morning watching online. I'm going to be with my brother, Philip, uh, 7.30 Thursday morning. We uh, come up here and pray and right in the amphitheater here. I know a lot of you got to be off to work by then or some of you aren't out of bed yet. Praise the Lord and pass the tax rebates. But <laughs> go through Dutch Bros or Starbucks or whatever your fave is or bring a cup of coffee if you'd like to come and pray. And I'll be here at 7.30 and I'd love to invite you. And uh, It's a start, but we need to pray. So Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your faithfulness throughout history. Your faithfulness seen, Lord, 
600 years before the rock was cut out of a mountain. <laughs> a rock that would crush all the kingdoms of the world. A rock that would build a mountain that would fill the earth and last forever. Jesus, you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's none like you. You're the rock of our salvation. We just say thank you for that, Lord, and pray for each one of us today. Strengthen our faith. Encourage us. Lord, if, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, and I just want to encourage you today. Knowing Christ is a decision that you have to make. You aren't born a Christian. You don't just receive Jesus by osmosis sitting in church services. You've got to make a decision to commit your life to Christ and begin to follow him. You've got to believe that you don't deserve salvation. You've got to understand that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And all you can do is humble yourself and ask forgiveness for your sins and receive him. And I want to encourage you, if you're watching online this morning, to pray a prayer to receive Christ. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. If you're watching in the sanctuary, Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. The key is not the prayer. The key is the follow-through. Okay? A lot of people pray the prayer but never follow through. The key is the follow-through. It's finding a friend, a brother or sister you can pray with, you can read the Bible with, you can talk with. You can't do it on your own. You're going to need help of others. So, Jesus, I want to thank you for your blessing on this country. And we continue to pray for our leaders and pray for grace and for each one of us here. Lord, make us an army. Make an army. Make us an army that marches on their knees, Lord. Praise the prayer of faith. We thank you for that. Thank you for hearing our prayers this morning. In Jesus' name, can we say amen together?